You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Welcome to TMT's Unscripted Issue Podcasts. Are you ready to place your investment in virtual care? Today's guests discuss the pandemic exponentially accelerating the adoption of virtual care and heightening consumer expectation, which has led to health systems reimagining their role in virtual care, empowering those health systems to move beyond siloed applications to a comprehensive, whole-person approach that consumers need across their healthcare journey. Get the skinny on the current and future state of virtual care, along with the unique position health systems are in to earn their place within the consumer circle of trust. Tune in now to hear Bruce Brandis, Senior Vice President of Consumer-Centered Virtual Care at Teladoc Health, and Dr. Lyle Berkowitz, CEO of Back9 Healthcare Consulting and Editor-in-Chief of Telehealth and Medicine Today. Let's get right into it. Good morning, Bruce. Thanks for coming on to talk to us about what is going on with telehealth. It's been quite a year with the pandemic accelerating everything around virtual care. Uh, and we'd love to hear some of your thoughts on what do you think's changed forever um, versus pre-pandemic, pre-COVID for innovators and digital health folks like us has, has been an exponential year. Things have jumped ahead. Um, what do you think is going to stay ahead? Um, I often think about through the lens of the three R's, uh, regulatory changes, reimbursement changes, and just the regularity of day-to-day care. Um, what's been your experience, thoughts, et cetera, um, that you've seen in the industry? Great question. First of all, Lyle, thank you for having me. It's great to talk to you. And, and I think that's a really important question. Um, this past year has just been a remarkable time. Um, and through all the tragedy, um, I think a lot of people are seeing the opportunity uh, for us to build a better healthcare system and to build rebuild a lot of things about our society. But specifically today, when we talk about healthcare, um, it, it's worth reflecting on um, what has really worked for us and, and where should that equilibrium fall uh, as we settle back in. And I, I think the things that have changed forever um, are two things that, um, that I think are probably most important as it relates uh, to, to telehealth and virtual care. Um, the first is consumer expectations. I, I think the consumer uh, whether, whether you want to say the toothpaste is out of the tube or the genie's out of the bottle, but, but now that consumers have had exposure to um, what, what a digital first healthcare experience looks like, just like the digital first experience that they have in every other area of their lives that they love so much. Um, I, I don't think we're going to undo the fact that many consumers now expect, whether it be a digital first experience or a digital option, uh, for them, depending on what's needed. I, I think consumer expectations are changed forever. The other piece we'll put that, into that third R bucket, right? The regularity consumers exactly. now and doctors it, it, see it, was, it as something that's a regular part of care. And that was the second thing that I was going to touch on there is, is I think provider understanding and confidence that you actually can deliver great quality care virtually. Uh, and, and again, it varies depending on what that individual patient's needs are. But the concept for many specialties and for many interactions that we have, that a virtual interaction from a provider perspective is just as good or in some cases better 
than what they would do if they were physically together. So um, we'll put that into the third R that you have. Um, in terms of uh, regulatory, again, I think because of consumer demand and expectations and provider confidence in quality, I think we're going to see the regulations settle in in a place where it just makes sense, um, where, where we can accommodate uh, what is better care at a better price point, uh, better experience. Uh, I, I, I suspect, and we're seeing it now, that that, that will settle in with, with something that is radically uh, advanced from where we were um, pre-pandemic. And then regarding reimbursement, I, I, I don't think that we expect necessarily that it's going to be complete payment parity the way it has been uh, during the pandemic. But I also think we can look and recognize the value that is created uh, through virtual care. And I think that the, the proper reimbursement, uh, so if you look at it in a, in a fee-for-service world, the proper reimbursement, I think, will settle in where it, where it should be. But the other part of that, by the way, is I think everybody now recognizing, perhaps we'll talk about this a little further into the conversation, um, we, we, we recognize the opportunity that virtual care creates for uh, enabling uh, health systems, for example, to move more aggressively into taking on uh, risk and, and moving into value-based care, so uh, so that perhaps when you're when you're fully holding risk, um, the reimbursement piece you look at it with a, a, a different lens. And I think we all recognize we're living in both worlds, but but I do think that that reimbursement question uh, would probably change a few years from now versus uh, how we might look at it today because of the move to value-based care. So let's dive into value. A lot of people think of Teladoc as working with large uh, payers, employers, et cetera, going to the consumer, but you know, you're heading up, helping head up a whole division that focuses on hospitals and health systems. Let's talk a little first about why do health systems need you? They've got their EMRs and telehealth, et cetera. There's your technology, the staff augmentation, and then what value are they getting? What is their ROI, whether it be for urgent care or chronic care or preventive care? What's What value are they seeing? You mentioned uh, if they're moving towards value-based care. So we'd love to hear you talk a little more about why they're using you, um, how they're using you, and, and the value that's coming out of that. Yeah, so that's a great question. So uh, in, in reality, um, we started working with large employers and health plans because they were the ones um, most act, uh, apt to move quickly uh, as we were building the business um, who were ultimately paying the bill. What we're now finding is health systems are realizing that there is a remarkable challenge and opportunity at the same time. So uh, for them, as it relates to virtual care, certainly uh, historically, uh, there were people who providers who might have seen this as a threat, but I think more and more uh, providers are recognizing the incredible opportunity that virtual care represents for them uh, to thrive in a current environment, uh, as well as uh, to position themselves for the future. And it, I'll, I'll, I'll speak um, broadly. Uh, first of all, most health systems recognize that if the consumer is at the center of, of healthcare in the future, that um, healthcare is confusing. So that confuse that consumer needs help. There are lots of partners and potential partners vying for uh, a seat at the table with that consumer, whether it be big tech companies, big retailers, uh, health plans, or, uh, or new entrants that are coming in all 
arguably setting up to disintermediate or further disintermediate uh, the local health system from that consumer. Um, We see a tremendous opportunity uh, for the health systems to lean in, recognizing their place locally uh, in the community, the trust that they've earned over time whenever someone breaks their leg or has a heart attack. Um, the, The real question is, how do you become the, in the center of the circle of trust all the time uh, with, with those consumers. And I think that more and more health systems see this as a great opportunity. And, and there's really a, so there's a strategic reason. And then there's also a compelling ROI reason as to why they need to be in the virtual care business, recognizing the, the confluence of, of physical care and, and virtual care. And, and I'll just cite off a few statistics uh, of beyond the strategic reasons that the reality is investing in virtual care pays for itself with great returns. Um, Specifically in chronic care, we've seen where many health systems start with their own employees. Um, They've seen as as much as a three and a half times ROI in the first year of launching virtual programs for uh, chronic condition management. And now we're seeing them move into, uh, into not only their employees, but taking that and applying it to patient populations. Um, Let's let's get clarity on that. So uh, is that only in situations where they're at risk for that crack population or also in a fee-for-service is there an ROI? Well, let, let's start, first of all, in for their own employees, generally most um, health mm-hmm. systems are self-insured. So clearly they are at risk for that population, which is why yep. many start there because there's a compelling ROI and they get the benefit. What we're finding is as they're shifting their attention to patient populations, it actually serves them well in both worlds. So in a fee-for-service world, there's opportunity to see this as an opportunity to extend your digital front door to connect with people who are chronically ill, in many cases um, commercially or, or insured by Medicare, and to shift that market share. Um, so, so there's opportunity around that in a fee-for-service world. There's also, as they look to moving into fee-for-value, the opportunity to see this as an opportunity to get data, uh, to understand uh, how to fill in the blind spot on that they have about what happens the majority of someone's life when they're living their chronic conditions outside of the physician's office or outside of the hospital to get those insights, as well as to have a mechanism to affect behavior change. So as they do take on risk to go into these arrangements with the data that they need to be successful and the ability to affect behavior change um, with health nudges and, uh, and other connected devices and technology and data science to help those people to be healthier. So as as you look into ROI for chronic conditions for health systems, it does uh, have a compelling uh, place for your anyone, anywhere where you're already taking risk, but also um, there is an ROI and a strategic value for fee-for-service as well. And, and also to clarify, is that based more right now on the telehealth doctors being available for urgent needs for chronic folks, or is the Lamongo elements of monitoring and escalating, or have you already started combining those? Well, it's actually the power of both. It's really being able to meet these consumers where they are. So when they're off living their lives um, and hopefully making uh, their condition, their chronic condition, invisible to them or less visible as much as it can be and just let them live their lives. And that's what the Mavongo does. But then recognizing when something might not be exactly right, when they may need to get their meds adjusted or they may need to um, check in with an endocrinologist, um, the ability to do that on demand, uh, which is what the Teladoc brings to the merger, uh, really simplifies the experience for that person living with the chronic condition. So, uh, So it's really a combination of both. So, and I know how hard dealing with health systems 
can be. I, I lived and breathed in that for 20 years in a, in a health system. I've, I've sold the health systems, et cetera. One of the things that must come up, you mentioned initially they're reluctant, but one of the things that must come up is, wait a minute, we want our doctors to take care of our patients versus your doctors. And yet, you know, they don't have enough of the doctors. How, how have you reconciled that to the point where they feel comfortable trusting your teledoc doctors to fill in at times and help out um, and feel like there's a seamless experience for everybody? Well, first of all, we completely agree with them. Um, they should use their doctors um, when they would like to and their doctors are available. Um, and, and that is our model. We've built an open platform. We are a technology platform. And each one of our clients, uh, health system clients, can decide um, how and when uh, to leverage supplementary expertise that we may have or availability that we may have through teledoc physicians. The other, so, so many of our clients, it goes first to their docs. And then if it's after hours or weekends or, or they, there's a a specialty that they need, need a consult on that's not available uh, through their facility, we can help supplement that. Uh, But it's really up to them. Uh, The other key piece of that is when, when, their physicians, their employed physicians also have gaps in their schedule um, through partnering with us. It creates a great opportunity for us to be able to fill in those gaps um, with with um, where they can consult on cases um, potentially anywhere. And so it, it really creates a great uh, growth opportunity as well uh, for many of these uh, these health systems that we partner with. Okay. So about 15 years ago, I wrote a a paper article editorial that suggested health systems. If you don't get on the ball and start doing virtual care, you're going to wind up losing to these other groups who do do it better. Suffice it to say, I might have been a little ahead of the the curve. um, And yet now it's 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 coming around and instead of competing, you're you're helping facilitate. How far can it go when we talk about this idea of, um, you know, whole person care virtually. Yeah, I love the concept of virtual primary care. I, you know, there are not enough primary care doctors necessarily to have every single person be able to have, you know, hours of time with them in the office, but they don't need that. In fact, it makes sense for a lot of folks to do their primary care. Maybe if you're under 50 years old, completely virtually. Yeah. And I'm curious your what you're seeing out there. Are the health systems in particular embracing that with their doctors, other doctors? Do they feel that it is more than urgent care or, or occasional chronic care? Can they have preventive care? Can they actually offer a full offering that way? What, what do you think is happening in the uh, atmosphere these days? Yeah, well, you'd mentioned the, the concept of whole person care, whole person virtual care. And, and I think that's really um, the way more and more health systems are starting to think of this. Uh, you know, how do we approach this for the totality uh, of, of what a consumer or a patient's needs may be? And, uh, and I think one of the challenges we've had historically is we've always looked at things in a very fragmented way based on the products that may be available or, or something that was available in a silo. And so, for example, people with chronic conditions, many people who have chronic conditions have multiple chronic conditions, as you know, and they have other needs that, that may go beyond uh, their chronic conditions. So if we're only looking at one dimension of, of a, whether we're a health system or, uh, or a technology company, if we're only looking at one dimension of, of a person's needs, we're really not going to help that person to be as well as they really need to be and to simplify the consumer experience for them. So 
to, to approach it, and I see more and more health systems um, seeking this, is the opportunity to have an integrated platform that can address uh, the totality of, of all of the needs, whether it be physical or virtual for every condition. And, uh, and as a byproduct of being able to have an integrated platform to simplify the consumer experience and also create a, a much more hyper-personalized experience with the data that comes as a byproduct of having one integrated data lake that, that kind of can, can see everything that's needed about this consumer or this patient uh, so that I can actually understand how to zero in on what's needed exactly for them. Um, so we, we think that health systems, leaning health systems, are, are looking at whole person care and, and, and virtual care as it integrates with, uh, with physical care across the continuum. Are you finding that they want to get all that data sent into their EMR? Or perhaps they have an EDW or just want it on your system. What's been the traditional uh, way to bring all that data together when you work with health systems? Yeah, so so the, the short answer is yes, it belongs in the EMR. But frankly, a lot of a lot of this experience and this interaction happens outside of the EMR when when people are living their lives outside of the health system. So um, so yes, we need to bring it into the EMR, but we don't need to be dependent on the EMR to be able to provide the level of care. But ideally, it's part of a broader data warehouse because there is a lot of additional information that frankly doesn't get captured in the EMR that is. Uh, you know, for me as a consumer, you know, me, for example, if I'm struggling with prediabetes, um, me, you know, documenting my food log, that may or may not be something that is appropriate to go in into the EMR, but it's part of that consumer's experience. And I think the more we recognize that, uh, that, that the EMR is in a, a very important foundational component uh, that we need to share that. And we certainly integrate uh, the virtual care data into the EMR for all the, those right reasons to have a, a comprehensive view. But we can't be uh, wholly dependent on the EMR uh, to, to, that, that could potentially limit the consumer experience. And, and I think that's a, a great opportunity for us to think about first the consumer as a person and as a consumer, not necessarily as a patient. Uh, and, and the more we do that, it, it helps us look beyond just the EMR for the data. Okay. In terms of whole person care, let's talk about specialty care for a minute. On, on one hand, um, you know, we often talk about there's a shortage. It takes six months to get into a specialist, et cetera. Uh, and so being able to access someone online a little more quick, quickly would be help. But uh, how are your health systems handling that if there's already a six-month wait to get in? Are they, are they um, section off some of them to become specialists and being virtual um, uh, care experts? Are they just building into their system or is it just a, a distribution where they're able to find specialists maybe across town that aren't as busy? What's, is there any secret uh, sauce there? Well, I think, I think the latter is a, a great point. Imagine if you could eliminate the traditional geographical boundaries that have restricted access to a specialist uh, and, and to care. If we can, if we can think back to the regulatory questions you had at the beginning, if, if we're not limited to uh, you know, our state, you know, or, or our, our particular geography, um, if people are available at any time, anywhere, um, it, it all of a sudden opens up a world of possibilities for us to access specialty care in a much more timely and relevant, uh, 
timeline, as well as giving those health systems uh, where the specialists may reside better control over providing the care that they want to be able to provide and the customer service that they want to be able to provide. So I, I think it creates a tremendous opportunity um, to accelerate uh, access to care and also improve the quality because uh, now all of a sudden, you know, you can have uh, you know a, a clinical center of excellence uh, and be consult consulting on cases um, in rural communities, um, anywhere. And those people are now getting access to you know, the best of the best, uh, to consult on their cases. And I think that we all can benefit from that. Yeah. Um, and expanding even further, um, you know, we're seeing some companies that, uh, you know, Lavango has sent out devices, other companies that are sending out medications, et cetera. How aggressive are health systems going to, going to be with respect to sort of somehow connecting you know, the, the physical world with the virtual world, um, you know, providing medication devices, et cetera, to their patients? What have, what have you been seeing? Yeah, well, I think directionally, again, if, if it's all about the consumer and recognizing, you know, we talked about some of the new entrants who health systems are now competing with, who who really do understand the consumer experience um, much better than we in healthcare historically have, uh, and also potentially have access to a lot more funding and capital uh, than, than traditional health systems. I think we're seeing more and more health systems, whether it be uh, by build, buy, or partner, figuring out how to deliver an excellent consumer experience. And part of what the consumers expect is, you know, the opportunity to simplify all of these, um, you know, areas of need that we might have. Uh, and ideally uh, for the health system to be again, in the center of the circle of trust with that healthcare consumer um, being the convener of all the, the care services uh, and, and supplementary resources that are needed for that consumer to have a great experience and to be healthier. Okay. So I think, you know, we've heard a lot about health systems, you know, that are forward thinking are really starting to get more aggressive. They're working with Teladoc um, from a technology, strategic, um, you know, staff augmentation perspective. Um, we hopefully have a lot of uh, listeners who are with health systems. You know, what's your, your final words of wisdom advice for them, Bruce, and how to uh, manage for the, you know, through 2021 and beyond in a world where we, we truly have seen a, a, a seismic shift where we probably expect, you know, 20-ish percent of care to be done online um, uh, in general and in some specialties, um, maybe significantly more. Um, let's, let's hear your final thoughts. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I've had that question a lot recently and in conversations I've had with a number of health systems, the, the discussion that we generally have is, hey, why don't we first focus on the strategic priorities and imperatives of your health system? Um, not leading with virtual care or digital health or digital health sake, but you know, let, let's talk about what you're doing um, to try to shift commercial market share. Let's talk about what you're doing to try to move more meaningfully into getting closer to first premium dollar and, and take uh, risk and value-based care arrangements. Let's talk about what you're doing to focus on consumerism uh, in your markets. Um, and, and, as, as, and let's also talk about your growth strategies and how do you grow um, not only market share in the current market that you have, but how do you expand into other markets um, potentially, and, and perhaps do so without a bricks and mortar footprint. So as you think about all those strategic priorities you have, then layer in what's possible now with virtual care that wasn't possible uh, historically before this, this moment in time that we have. It's time to reimagine 
how to address those priorities and, and what do you need uh, from virtual care to enable that that totally changes the paradigm. How do you become profitable at government rates? You know, how do you deliver care and democratize access to care to vulnerable populations that may be underserved today? Um, so a lot of things that are very possible now. Um, and, and in order to be able to deliver that, the only thing I would really emphasize to health systems is look at this holistically. Um, as you're building your virtual care strategies and platform, uh, what, what you need is not to further fragment care by building a separate silo for each area where you may um, see need and opportunity. Um, you really need a purpose-built platform for healthcare that understands interoperability, that understands uh, scalability and, uh, and clinical workflows. Uh, and, and so as you start thinking about what that platform is and, and the data science that's needed to enable a hyper-personalized consumer experience, and looking holistically across the entire continuum of care from chronic conditions in the home to ambulatory visits in the office to complex care in the ICU and all points in between as people are just you know striving to lead a better and healthier life outside of the health system you know not thinking themselves as a patient but just being a person you know how does a health system take control of their role in facilitating that the the opportunities have never been greater for uh, providers and healthcare organizations to reinvent themselves themselves because of what's possible with virtual. Thanks. I, I think that's a great way to wrap it up. Um, this is not a silo out there. This needs to be a part of your holistic strategy. And and sounds like you guys have been uh, having some great experiences with that. So thanks again for your time. Hope this was helpful uh, to listeners. And uh, that will be a wrap. Thanks so much, Lyle. We appreciate your tuning in to TMT's Unscripted podcast featuring Dr. Lyle Berkowitz, Editor-in-Chief of Telehealth and Medicine Today Quarterly Journal and Teladoc Health's Bruce Brandis, Senior Vice President of Consumer-Centered Virtual Care. Want to learn more or have a comment about the program? Send an email to info at partnersindigitalhealth.com or visit telehealth and medicine today.